Church, can you guys hear me okay? Don't mind me just uh, moving some stuff around here real quick. All right. Well, my name is Sebastian. If we haven't met, I would love to meet you. I'm the pastoral resident here, and I get to share God's word with you this morning. Um, just want to start by saying I'm just excited to get to talk about Jesus with you. I mean, we know, right? Jesus is the reason for the season, right? Are you guys with me awake this morning? Yeah? All right. Because I'm going to need your participation in a little bit. So, like I said, I love this season because of the truths that we get to be reminded of, the things that we get to sing about. I mean, if I had the, uh, I'm going to be honest, if I had the uh, authority to make a law, I would say, hey, it should be a law for all of us to start celebrating Christmas. Well, I should never stop celebrating Christmas, but I know that could be some uh, controversial for some people. But anyways, um, as we prepare our hearts for this Advent season, as we continue to do that, we are reminded of this truth this morning, that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Now, if there is something that history has shown us, is that we all recognize, we should recognize this, that we, are, uh, we were made to submit to a king. Now you're like, wait, wait a minute. Well, let, let's talk about this. You know, uh, on the other side of the globe, the Brits, right? The king, yay, that's our guy. The queen, yay, that's our girl. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, but, but, but Americans have an interesting relationship with the rulers and the kings, right? I mean, just think, right? We don't need a king, right? July 4th, 1776, Declaration of Independence, right? Americans are against the king. This is from the Declaration of Independence. This is this. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having a direct object, the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. The king is a tyrant, right? So this is the tension, right? We acknowledge that we were made to have a king. And for some, this king might be literally the government or the rulers, right? The king or the queen. For others, like Americans, I am my king. Nobody can tell me what to do, right? But for us Christians, this is not the case, right? We are made to submit to the one true king, the one who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen to that? Amen. Now, this is why I love this season so much. I mean, just this is where I'm going to need your help. Just listen to the words of the songs, and, and you're going to help me finish them, okay? Come and behold him, born the king that's right. Or, 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 born thy people to deliver, born a child and king. Or, 
Hark the herald angels sing glory to the Or my favorite. Ready? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let Reese. All of these songs, all of these songs that we sing during this season, they just communicate a profound message to all of us that Jesus has come, that the King is born, that Jesus is King. But what does that mean for us? How does knowing that Jesus is King, how does that transform us? How does that change us? How is that good news for us? We've seen how Jesus is the true prophet. We've seen how Jesus is the true priest. And this morning, we're going to explore why Jesus is the true king and what that means for us. So before we dive in, let's pray. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you have given to us to come and be reminded of who you are and what you have done. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to see with clarity how Christ is the King. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I just want to give you a heads up. Um, This will be a topical sermon. It's not going to be the typical. We're going to go through the passage. That passage, I I chose to anchor us in the promise that we're going to get to see. So we're going to be going back and forth with Scripture. I just want to give you a heads up. And my hope is that we'll be able to see with clarity how Scripture tells us, yes, Christ is King. Now, what is the big idea for this morning for us? And we read that. It says this, this is the big idea, that Jesus is the promised king, true king, who has come to establish his kingdom. Let me say that again. Jesus is the promised true king who has come to establish his kingdom. And in light of that, once we get to see that with clarity, my hope is that we would recognize Jesus as the true king and rest in his power. We're going to get to see how Jesus is king in three ways. We're going to get to look at the promise, God's promise to David. This is from 2 Samuel 7. We're going to go into the failure of the shepherds. We're going to go all the way to Ezekiel 34. And then lastly, we're going to see the revelation of the true king from the gospel of Matthew. So let's start by looking at the promise to David. What do we know about David? He's probably one of the heroes of the Christian faith, of the Bible. We know that King David was a shepherd as a young boy. We know that he was anointed by Samuel to step up and be the king of Israel. We know also about King Saul, right? The spirit of the Lord departed from King Saul, and so God appoints David to step up and be this king, this ruler, this leader for Israel. 
Now, normally, we talk about all the good stories about David, right? David and Goliath, yeah, this is our hero. Well, not this morning. We're actually going to talk a little bit about the not-so-good side of David. Do you guys recall the story of David and Bathsheba? We know that David, in a lustful, adulterous act, takes Bathsheba and gets her pregnant. That's bad. But that doesn't stop there, right? It doesn't stop there. He tries to sneak his way out of the situation and now tries to trick Uriah, who is the husband of Bathsheba, into believing that actually he is the father of the baby. He tries to get him to lay with his wife. But that fails, as we know. So he goes from bad to worse to now he's plotting to kill Uriah. And not only plots, but executes that and gets him killed. Bad. Worst. Worst. Why do I want to mention this? Why do I say the failure of King Saul, the spirit departed from him, the failure of David as a king? Why does this matter? Because I want to set the tone for the sermon God is in the business of redeeming and restoring the broken. God is so sovereign that he works in sinful people in spite of their sin and shows his goodness and his faithfulness and redemption. His promises don't depend on us. It depends on him. That's exactly what we're going to get to see in this passage David tells the prophet Nathan that he wants to build the house. Keep in mind, at this point in the story, David has already recovered the Ark of the Covenant from the enemies of God, has brought that back, and now he's sitting thinking, how is it that I, the king of Israel, David, live in a palace? And yet, God, who's so much bigger than I, the presence of the Lord is in a tent. How can this That doesn't sit well with David. So he says to Nathan, I'm going to build a house, a temple, a dwelling place for the Lord. Right? And, And we saw in the story that Nathan says, yes, do it. But then the presence of the Lord comes, the word of the Lord comes to Nathan and then says that that's not the case. In fact, David was not going to do that. God was going to do that. Now, let's not miss the significance here. What is God saying here? From the very beginning, God is still telling us, you're not the doer in this story. I am. I am the one who's doing. I am the one who acts. So it doesn't depend on you and what you can do for me. It depends on me, who I am, and what I do for my people. Right? So, what do we get to see here then? The Lord says this to David. When your days are fulfilled... And you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom, not just for today, not just for tomorrow, forever. 
We must recognize that God is not talking here about a, a literal house. This is not what is being talked about. In fact, God is talking about a dynasty that is going to build through the line of David. You see, this is significant because it shows us that David's throne on earth is equivalent of God's throne in heaven. Now, God promises that David's heir will reign forever. Why is this important? This is important for us to understand this promise because this is the glue that will help us to put all the pieces together. So we have the promise of David's dynasty and the kingdom. But now, we we just went through the minor prophets as a church. And we got to see, it was kind of like a, like a boom, be awake to the reality of what is happening uh, to the people of Israel at that time, right? And for us, it could be kind of tricky to try to step into that because it almost feels like we're stepping into the middle, into the middle of a movie where maybe we miss a lot of the context and we're like, we're, we're not sure the significance of all these things. We're just trying to piece the, the, the whole puzzle together, but... The Minor Prophets helps us to see something very important and why the people of Israel responded in such a way as what they did. Here is the promise. The Minor Prophets address the failure of the shepherds. Now, this is what we got to see in the Minor Prophets. Judgment. Exile. The shepherds' failure to care for the sheep. The corruption, the abuse, and how the Davidic line actually comes to an end. Uh, Ligon Duncan is a theologian that I appreciate. and his words, he says this, that um, this is known as the big theological crisis in the Old Testament, towards the end of the Old Testament. Why? God's promises, the people of Israel are now wondering, well, where are those promises? Because all we've seen is not, is not that. So what does that mean? Does, does that mean that God has failed to his promises? Does that mean that God has abandoned his people? Does that mean that God just simply doesn't care anymore? That's what they were wrestling with. Now, detach from that real quick. Let's bring it to us, right? Do you feel that sometimes? Where you know the promises of the Lord and and you know that he's faithful and yet sometimes you doubt his faithfulness because you look around at the chaos and the brokenness around you and the sinfulness within you and then you wonder is God even here with me does he even care how much longer Lord you see we we all wrestle with this reality now after this the promise of Israel I just want us to understand this because the promise for Israel was to be in their land. But then what did they see? Exile, out of the land. The promise was for them to have this king, this ruler from the line of David. Well, what did they get to see? Line of David comes to an end. So what do we do with this? The minor prophets help us to uh, deal with this tension, right? To find the answers to this question. Did God stop caring? No. Has he failed? No. This is why I want to continue to go into the failure of the shepherds, to continue to see with more clarity how God's promises have not failed. If we go, I want to invite you, if you have your Bible, please open that and go to Ezekiel 34. 
Because this is where he helps us to uh, expand a little bit more of, of what the people of Israel are wrestling with. In Ezekiel 34, it just this captures the tension between the promises and the failure of the priests and the shepherds and the rulers of Israel. If you go to Ezekiel 34, verse 2, it says this, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, and the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have rule over them. The Lord is bringing charge against the rulers and shepherds of Israel. Those who were supposed to give hope to the people and say God's promises have not failed. Here we are. The very same people are those who are not caring for the sheep. But here is how we continue to see that God is saying, hey, it's not about what they do. It's not about what they should. It's about me, my character, who I am, and how I am keeping my promises. Because then later on, it says this, but the Lord says that he will rescue his sheep. Verse 15 I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Now, why is this important for us? We're talking about the failure of the shepherds. It is important because God has spoken about this already regarding the promise that he made to David. He continues to progressively reveal himself and how he's about to fulfill this promise. I want to bring your attention if you can think of Jeremiah 31. What do we get to see there? New covenant. New covenant where God says, I will put my law within your heart. I will be your God. You will be my people. And Ezekiel, Ezekiel knows this. He knows this. This is why he expands on that. If we go to Ezekiel 36, verse 25, starting there, this is why he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from your, all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone and your flesh, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Let's recap. Let's recap here. God reveals how he's keeping his promises. Sorry, um, we have the covenant, the promise of the covenant from God to David. God says that he's going to raise up a dynasty. He's going to bring a king and he's going to bring and establish the kingdom from the line of David. But within this line, this house, 
the shepherds and the rulers have failed to, and they have done what is evil. Now, God reveals how he's keeping his promises and reveals the new covenant. And he shows that the house of David is still the foundation. The house of David is still the foundation. He's not done with that. Ezekiel 34, verse 22 and 24 says this, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between the sheep and the sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant, David. And he shall feed them. And he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Now, did you catch that? When I read this, my question was, how can this be? What do you mean, my servant David? At this point, David is long, long gone. Why would God continue to say, my servant David will be the shepherd and the ruler, the prince There is a new covenant coming, a kingdom coming. There is a king that is coming. Now, God has made that promise to David. God is going to fulfill that promise despite of the failure of those who were supposed to lead, rule, and care for the sheep. So how does God finally reveal to us who this promised king is? I want to invite you to go to the very first verse of the very first chapter of the very first book of the New Testament. Matthew 1, 1. I want you to follow this with me. It's in the screen. It'll be on your Bibles. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus Christ, the son of David. Jesus Christ, the son of David. Why do you think the Matthew starts the gospel in this way? Matthew is making a huge statement, a huge statement that we cannot miss. He's given Jesus the right to take the throne, the right to be the king. A lot of the times when we go through the gospel of Matthew, what do we do? Matthew 1, the book of the genealogy. Oh boy, what do I do with all of these names? They matter. They're so important because that's how we trace how Jesus steps into the office of being the prophesied king. If we remember, Matthew, genealogy of Matthew, emphasizes the line of David through Joseph. Why? Because he wants to highlight how Jesus takes the throne from the royal side, the line of Joseph. But then the Gospel of Luke also tells us the genealogy of Jesus, but now it's talking through Mary. Why? Highlighting how Jesus takes the throne through bloodline. Jesus, from royalty and bloodline, takes the throne. He is the king. And this is why Matthew and the Gospels highlight Jesus as the prophesied true king. This is how God reveals that he's keeping his promises. Now, 
we see that God fulfilled his promises in his son, Jesus Christ, the son of David. This is why throughout the Gospels in Matthew, we see, have mercy on me, son of David. Right? Or, or the triumphal entrance. Hosanna to the son of David. Or when people wonder, can this, can this be the son of, of David? Can, can this be him? Well, why do you think that they're wondering that? Because they know all the promises that are tied to this true king that is to come. This is why the people are waiting in anticipation. When is the king going to come? Well, the gospel writers tell us that the king has come. That is Jesus Christ, the son of God, the son of men, the son of David, the king of kings and lord of lords. This is why Jesus is king. Now, I reckon a lot of biblical theology here, right? Man, we're, we're going, we're seeing how the promises, God fulfills the promises. Now, why is this important to us? Why does this matter to us? Now, that's the question. Well, I want to give you three reasons why this is important and, and just things that we should wrestle with. Listen to the words of the king. We belong to the king. John 10 tells us that Jesus is the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. I give them eternal life. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. And get this, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Believer in Christ, you, me, this morning, because we are in Christ, we belong to the King. The King has come to redeem us from the curse of sin, far as the curse is found. The King has come to redeem us from that curse. He has rescued us from spending an eternity without God. You see, we belong to the King. He has brought us near. He has bought us with the price that only the king could pay. Second point. Why does this matter for us that Jesus is king? Because we are part of his kingdom. We are part of his kingdom. Galatians 3.26 tells us that for in Christ Jesus, in, in Christ Jesus, not in ourselves, in Christ Jesus, we are all sons. We have been adopted in Christ to belong to the family of God, to be part of the kingdom of God. King Jesus has given us the right to become children of God by faith alone, in Christ alone. So, friends, you are no longer a stranger. You are not an outsider of the kingdom. You are an agent of the kingdom. This matters because I I want us to, 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 to get this. All the promises that God has spoken 
because you are in Christ and you are part of the kingdom, they are made to you. And what do we know about God and his promises? Does he ever fail? Does he fall short? Does he change his mind? Or is he constant, faithful, and never fails? This is also important for us to know that Jesus is king, that we belong to the king, and that we are part of the king. And because of that, because of that, we can rest in the king's power. We can rest in the king in all aspects of life as we prepare to spend Christmas with our families. I know that this could create a lot of tensions. Man, I'm not ready. Maybe my house is not clean. Maybe I have to go meet with maybe my aunt or uncle. That I, ah, There's some tension. I don't really want to do that. Whatever the case may be, as we learn what it means to be a good husband or a good wife, a good son or daughter, a, a be good parents, even, even when we feel like we're totally failing at it, here's the invitation. Rest in your king. As we learn what it means to... Uh, be faithful agents of the kingdom. And I'm going to get ahead of myself here because I know that it's not until next uh, year. But as we step into this upcoming political season, rest in knowing when you're challenged by the chaos, when you're confronted by your own preferences, I would rather have this man or this woman, whatever the case may be, friends, rest in knowing that God is the one who establishes the rulers from the president to the, whoever you want to say, senate, to your major city council. God is the sovereign one in control, appointing the rulers. You see, so because we're part of the kingdom, we're citizens of the kingdom, our allegiance should never be to a donkey or an elephant, but to the Lamb of God. Now, I'm not going to take credit for that one because a lot of theologians have said that, but I love it. I love it, right? So, now, rest in your king. Here's a king who does not establish tyranny. Here is a king who lays down his life, his life for his sheep. That is you and I. Here's a king. Hear this. Here's a king who uses his power not to be served, but to serve and to save sinners like you and I. You see how Jesus is so much different than any concept that we can imagine of what it means to be a king? He is the true king. The one who humbled himself and took upon him the penalty of our sins and he suffered on our behalf so that we could find life in him and rest in him. Here's the king who takes the crown of thorns 
goes to the cross and defeats death and sin. And he doesn't stop there. He invites you and he invites me to be a part of his kingdom. And not only that, he brings us to his kingdom. A kingdom that is of peace and of perfect justice. As we receive the invitation to trust in this true king and rest in his power, I just I want to close with the words of Paul in Philippians 2. Because this is what he says. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friend, this morning, receive the King. Submit to the King. And rest in your king. Let's pray. (sighs) Heavenly Father, we are amazed. Amazed to be confronted with the reality that you have done this work. That you have sent your son, Jesus, the true king, to claim us as your own, to make us part of the kingdom, your kingdom, and to give us the invitation to come and rest in the king. It doesn't matter what we're going through, how heavy the weight is from the chaos around us, It doesn't matter if we feel like failure because we're not stepping up to the plate. You remind us that the king has come, that Jesus is born, that you are with us. Father, we praise you. We praise you for how you have worked all these things for us to receive your promises. Continue to prepare our hearts and help us to continue to set our eyes on you and continue to find rest 
in you. We recognize that we depend on you and we need you. So we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.